the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and talk910.com. And now, Rob Black and your money. Call Rob, 1-800-345-5639. Here's Rob Black on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Welcome in to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Typically, I focus a little bit on the stock market and the daily business news, but I tend to stretch my legs a little bit and talk a little government sometimes as its role in our financial system is critical, uh, either for success or failure. Taxes, you know, you tax the rich, maybe they don't invest in small businesses. You tax the rich and maybe you get more social programs that create more jobs. I'll talk about all those kind of issues on a regular basis on this show. Do you get your calls in the air? It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It is a a conversation show. It is a not a monologue show. It is a show um, strongly, strongly urging you to pick up the phone and call in. We could talk anything. BP, uh, BP oil spill. What's it mean to you? Um, I'll tell you what it means to me. Stock market's not going to go anywhere until it's fixed. Stock market is just, it, it's a negative. And then you get negatives like the euro. You get negatives like Europe as a group who can't seem to, you know, get their, their 12 heads together as one and, and come out with a resounding voice. You get China who's kind of wishy-washy on their direction that they're going to be taking in the future. And those three things tell you, got to be careful right now. So maybe it's a summer of discontent. Maybe not a, a down summer. But I don't think it's an up summer. I don't think it's a summer of love. I think it's more of a summer of sideways until we get one or two of these issues fixed that we can start focusing in on the incredible low valuations that we see in the stock market. Month of June is due to basically start the month. It started the month on an incredibly weak start. Today's June 1st. Um, is today June 1st? Or is, yeah, today's June 1st. Um, after a disappointing May. May, I'll be quite honest with you, 2010. Very forgetful. And I'm kind of glad it's behind us. Uh, There was nothing good that came out of it, nothing good at all. Let's start with the opening bell. The New York Stock Exchange open day, weaker, uh, uh, basically concerned about slowing growth in China, and that made investors jittery. But even though we started weak, we've come back. Stocks have seesawed. Now we're up about 20 points on the Dow, sitting at 10,156. That 10,000 level is a psychological important number. Not important to me, but an important number to others. NASDAQ's down two, sitting at 2254. But it's really the strength today of Apple, shares of Apple. Uh, more iPad news coming your way later in the show. As well as shares of Baidu doing very well, and that's leading the NASDAQ higher. Elsewhere, the S&P 500 down three today, sitting at 1080. Five ten eighty five, and like I said, it's this oil spill that they thought they capped it, not so much, and that's sitting in our heads as investors as we patiently wait for that that the damage to you know let's see what the bill is, let's see what the damage is to the American consumer in the South, let's see what the damage is to the fishermen, let's see what the damage is to the taxes in the state uh, level, let's see what the damage is to companies like BP, and let's see what the damage is to future offshore oil well drilling. 
Don't have all those answers yet. So as long as oil's coming out, we're not going to even start to quantify it. Fox News Radio's Jessica Rosenthal reports from Venice, Louisiana, on the ongoing efforts to stop the oil spill in the Gulf. The dome failed. The top kill didn't work. Now BP is using robots underwater to saw off a pipe. They then hope to put a containment cap on top of that and siphon the oil to the surface. In a statement, BP says such an effort's never been attempted at this depth, and its effectiveness and ability cannot be assured. The earliest this process could start is tomorrow. Also, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder is here, signaling a possible criminal investigation into the spill. In Venice, Louisiana, Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News Radio. Wow. Again, this is an oil spill that began on April 20th. And it's going to be the biggest ecological environmental destruction in our lifetime in the United States. Likely. Now, again, I'm speaking for myself, who's halfway through my my financial life going from age 20 to 60. Um, With that said, this is not good. This is not good in any way, shape or form. Uh, The BP operated Deepwater Horizon drilling rig exploded off the Louisiana coast on April 20th. Go look at a calendar. That's a lot of freaking fracking days. That killed 11 workers. It ruptured the underwater pipe. Now they're basically cutting off that underwater pipe where it ruptured, and they're going to try to put a new pipe on it. So they're basically repiping it. Uh, everything that they've done to fix the leak, not working so far. So interesting stuff. We live in interesting times. Beware of that. So we got a new month on Wall Street, but we got the same disposition. It's a little bit on the, the cranky side. So we're watching foreign markets. And what sort of developments happen over the long weekend? Today's Tuesday. We had a Memorial Day weekend, which eh, not the greatest weekend for me. I don't know about you, but I've had better for sure. So um, foreign markets over the weekend, we keep an eyeball on. How many banks failed there? How many banks failed here? We've got, you know, tension in the Gaza Strip. Israeli naval commandos attacked an aid convoy in the Gaza Strip. You know, there was some weaker than expected economic data out of the Eurozone. You still have that Gulf of Mexico issue. You got China manufacturing activity slowing. So the market's going to go nowhere. Don't be surprised by that. We may have some up days. We may have some down days. But I don't see valuations. I don't see us going much lower. You know, 9,800 on the Dow. Valuations, I don't see us going much lower. But catalyst, I don't see us going much higher right now. So we got to sit and wait for some of this, these issues to speak the mud to kind of settle down. Now, in Bay Area news today, HP, they've slashing, they're going to slash 9,000 jobs. They're going to take a $1 billion charge. And this is typically they're going to say, hmm, it's right-sizing. We bought a lot of companies like EDS in the past year. We bought some software companies. We've bought companies like Palm. We've bought companies like, um, uh, who is the, the parent of Palm? 3Com. So we bought companies like that. And sometimes what we're finding is we've got two regional vice presidents of photocopying. So we're going to fire one of them. So they're saying we're going to slash 9,000 jobs. Wall Street loves this. Just go figure out if the average job has $50,000 a year tied towards it. And you times that by 9,000 and you're like, whoa, you can see where this is going to be a positive for the company if they're able to pull off the same amount of revenue with fewer people. Or if they're able to increase revenue, it, it, it hits the bottom line even faster. So HP is going to take a charge of about a billion dollars over a number of years. But they also said they're going to invest a billion dollars in the next generation of enterprises services. Now, this is a Palo Alto, California-based company. Um, a lot of their business now is worldwide. I compare them very favorably to IBM and somewhat towards Siemens. But Siemens is more of a 
GE type of place. Maybe you'd compare them a little bit more to SAP, but SAP's really never gone as aggressive as IBM and HP has into the services. Uh, it's interesting to note over the last 20 months since they acquired EDS, they've integrated the company, they've improved profitability. Um, ever since Carly Fiorina left HP, the company has been charmed and blessed and has moved higher with their CEO, Mark Hurd. Mark Hurd is pretty much so well-beloved on Wall Street. He's the kind of guy that under-promises and over-delivers. He's not that enthusiastic and quite simply in short, he's dull. But Wall Street likes dull. So what did Wall Street say about this? Hmm. Wall Street says EDS needed to cut costs by taking out expensive headcount. They need to invest in more automation, something EDS found difficult to do as the company was standing alone. Wall Street is looking at this and said HP's done a good job, and they've moved about um, from 12% at the time of the acquisition to 16% now as far as um, operating margins go. So kind of makes a little bit of sense. So that's the big issue there. Get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800 800- Three four five five six three nine coming up in about twenty odd minutes. I'm gonna have Tom Campbell, um, big election coming up, and we're gonna talk to him about his his issues, his standings. If you have any emails that you want me to read to Tom Campbell, you're gonna want to get them to me in the next ten to twelve minutes. You can email me rob at robblack.com. It's rob r o b at robblack.com. I also have a Facebook page group called I Hate Rob Black. It's I Hate Rob Black. So again, just kind of doing a quick recap. Uh, the euro has hit a new four year low. And again, there's ways to invest in that. I talk about that on a regular basis here. I've actually put up some investment ideas on the euro at the talk910.com page. Rob Black, it's the talk910.com page. And then you're going to have to find where my little group section is. And you can go back to several posts and you'll see that I gave you some ideas on how to invest in a weaker euro. So the euro hits a four-year low against the dollar. What's interesting to note about that is when the euro started to move lower, it was last year. And uh, last year, when I started the show in March 2009 here on Clear Channels, 9, 10 a.m., everyone was saying, I think the dollar's going lower. I think the dollar's going lower. I think inflation's going higher. I should invest in tips. And how do I short the dollar? Because there was this issue of Obama spending a trillion dollars on health care, Obama spending a trillion dollars to, to stimulate our economy. And those two things would say the dollar's going lower. No doubt about it. Those two things would say inflation's probably coming. But... We'd had basically six, seven years of badness. Badness? Uh-oh. Grammar teacher's going to circle that one and send it back to me. We'd had six or seven years of, of weakness in the dollar, and it was, it was played out. And I said it on the air because too many of you were calling me saying, how do I short the dollar? Too many of you are too worried about inflation. So we're not really seeing inflation yet. I still think that's at least a minimum six months away. So I'm not going to make a call for tips at this point in time. Down the road I will, but not today. Not today. Anyway, what are some of your thoughts on the stories that are out there? 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Fascinating article in the New York Times today talking about economic gains of blacks being lost fast. 20 years of gains being lost in two to three years. We'll talk about that. I think this is stimulating stuff. 800-345-5639. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. If money grew on trees, he'd be the fertilizer. He's Rob Black on 9:10 a.m. More stimulating talk. It's 
It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. In about 12 minutes, I'm going to be speaking with Tom Campbell, who's running up against Barbara Boxer in the state of California to represent us in Congress. A couple of the issues on Tom Campbell is he's been pretty liberal on social issues. He's been a supporter of abortion and gay rights. He's been conservative on fiscal matters. So on one level, he's that, that moderate Republican who some Democrats dig. On one level, he's not... He's not liberal enough for the, the left-wing Democrats, and he's definitively not conservative enough for the right-wing conservatives. So it's interesting to see how he's going to run against a very liberal Barbara Boxer, and, and we'll take a look at the polls, and we'll ask him to get an update. We'll probably have him on probably, my guess, is almost 30 total minutes. Uh, so if you have any issues you want to ask him about, you can call the show. Sure. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I almost prefer you. You intelligently think out your thought and put it in an email so I can you know, present it to them that way. The email is rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Now, every day I wake up 530-ish, some days a little earlier, some days a little, a little later, and I start looking for stories. And, of course, I've got about 100 pages of content already. I try to add 40 to 50 pages of content. So I really go through 40 to 50 pages of content a day on this show. So I'm, I'm really digging up stories. And I saw something today in the New York Times. It's just stunning. And I used to live on the East Coast for the majority of my life. 75% of my life I was on the East Coast or I was in Europe or Asia. Um, only the last 25% of my life have I been in California. And one thing I could tell you is that there's a lot of race issues still in the East Coast. A lot of race issues. Tons of race issues. There's tons of uneducated whites. There's tons of uneducated blacks. There's tons of tension, tons of tension. It's just thick as night, thick as, you know, uh, humidity, and you can cut it with a knife. It, it's there. You can go into a 7-Eleven and feel tension. You can go to the wrong part of town and feel tension. So I, I think that's probably on both sides, to be quite honest with you. And I'm talking blacks and whites here. And there's a great article in the New York Times by a guy named Michael Powell today, and he talks about for the last two decades— a lot of African-Americans saw their economic prospects brighten on the Mississippi River, and in particular in Memphis. They highlighted an example of a single father who had worked for FedEx as a custodian. He uh, built a, a brick home. He had a retirement account. He sent his eldest daughter through college. And then the recession hits. And uh, basically, he refinanced his mortgage at a rate that adjusted upwardly. He lost his job. He lost his home to foreclosure, and he's in bankruptcy. How did he go from so far so good to just decimation. And ultimately, he was a black man from the projects, and um, now he cleans toilets for a living. Instead of working at FedEx, he cleans toilets for a living. Memphis is a very starkly contrasted town. There is a lot of blacks. There are very few whites. Um, Memphis is a city where a majority of the residents are black. So, and it's been a symbol of the South where racial history no longer tightly constrains the choices of a rising black working um, middle class. The city epitomizes the black versus the white conflict in the United States. The median income of a black homeowner in Memphis, it rose steadily for four, five, six, seven years. And then it started to recede to the level of 1990, fast. So the 2000s, 2000 to 2006, very good. And then once that, that, that homeowner issue, the subprime issue where we gave loans to people who didn't deserve them, we were told to by Congress. We turned our backs on the risks. It ultimately blew up. In 2000, 2006, 
black Americans saw their, their wealth rise in, in the United States and in, in Memphis in particular. And then from 2006 to 2009, it's gone back to the level of 1990. You may not remember this, but 1990, we were just starting to emerge from the 80s, and the 80s weren't terribly kind. Now, the median income of black homeowners in Memphis, it rose, like I said. You saw a lot of black middle-class neighborhoods hollow out. Prices have plummeted now. Homes standing vacant in places like Orange Mound and Whitehaven, Cordova. Job losses have mounted. So ultimately what you have is um, 16.9% for unemployment for blacks in Memphis, 5.3% for whites. Does that not shock you a little bit? Now, I know the numbers are, are not similar, but they have kind of the trend in California. But 16.9% unemployment for blacks. Two years ago it was 9%. So just 5.3% for whites. Now, the repercussions are longstanding. Memphis is in a downslide. So the most acute economic divide in America is here in Memphis, Tennessee. So and you can see the difference between wealthy of black. And again, keep in mind, majority of people in Memphis are black Americans. The minority are white Americans. And yet for every dollar of wealth owned by a white family, a black or Latino family just has 16 cents. Now, how can you know, business economic activity, how can that be? It makes no sense to you, does it? In, in an economy where most people are black, a white person has a dollar, black person has 16 cents. So this is one of the big problems in America. You've got a recession-driven drop of wealth, but it is dramatically hurting minorities in America, much more so than whites. Now, the median white income in America, it dipped about 34% to $94,600. Median black wealth, it dipped 77%. So median white wealth dipped 34% to 94,600. But the median black wealth dipped 77%, more than double. Why were they hurt so much on the downside? Why double what the whites were? The average savings for a, a black in, in, uh, in America, $2,100 compared to 94,600 for a white. This is a cancer, and this is going to, at some point in time, not make us a third world country, but at some point in time, there will be an uprising against us. As a nation, we will fight ourselves. Because this the damage done from the subprime market was so dramatic towards the blacks. It's probably the worst thing that's happened to black Americans since, since civil rights. I mean, civil rights was the last good thing that happened when you, when you see this. Now, the mayor and former bank loan officer of Memphis, he says, you know, Wells Fargo, they did it. Let's make them pay. Ultimately, they endorsed Wells Fargo in the, bat, in the good times, but now they're pointing to them as a criminal. And a lot of it was tied towards, again, subprime loans where we gave loans to people and we took them away just as fast as we gave it to them. But Wells Fargo in particular took away more from blacks than whites because Wells Fargo did a mathematical formula saying whites have more means to pay. It's interesting. Other banks like Citigroup, they took away just as evenly from whites and blacks so as to appear not to be biased on paper. Wells Fargo on paper, they said, look, here's where the risk is because we know the salaries of black Americans in Memphis are a lot lower than the salaries of white Americans. We know the wealth is with the whites. Pretty dramatic stuff in my mind. I don't know if you if that intrigues you. I don't know if it's uh, anything you even want to look at. But if you do, take a look. Um, you can take a look at the New York Times. It's an article on the difference between blacks and Memphis losing decades in economic process. 
and, and gain. And uh, I just, again, sometimes I'm, I, I say this on a regular level. I feel privileged. I feel honored. I feel grateful that I was born a white American and not a white Israeli or not a white Russian, not a white Russian. Yes, I'm a, a, a drink that college girls drink. Um, I feel I feel honored. I mean, I feel lucky. I mean, in the world of the lottery, I hit a, a goal. I boom. My income as a man higher than most women's in America. So not only did I hit it being born in America, but I hit it versus uh, women. So my I, my sex hit a home run for me. Now, on top of that, I can even go even a step further and say, thank God I wasn't born in Des Moines, Iowa or in any tiny, teeny, tiny town in Iowa. Thank God my daddy wasn't a farmer uh, bringing up corn because I'd be bringing up corn in this day and age. Or maybe I'd be married to my high school sweetheart or maybe I'd be part uh, owner in an auto parts uh, company in Minnesota. I feel privileged and honored and lucky and, you know, good God, the difference being born in Eureka, California versus Santa Rosa, California versus San Francisco, California. You tell me there's not a difference. The difference between being born in Stockton, California and Palo Alto, California. There's a huge difference of what life is going to give you and what life isn't going to give you. So, again, great article in The New York Times talking about the difference between blacks and white Americans on on savings, on incomes and, and how we created opportunity and they thrived when it was given to them. But then we took it away just as fast. And again, do you feel with me? Are you in the same book? Are you on the same page? It's it's you're lucky to be a white American because I feel honestly lucky to be a white American. And again, born on the coasts. Thank God my parents traveled. Thank God my parents showed me the world. Um, thank God my parents had an issue of me not taking over the family farm, but going to college. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Coming up, we're going to talk to Tom Campbell. Not serving any public office at this point in time, but he's trying to. He's going uh, head ed, and uh, he's trying to get into the seat of Congress for us. And uh, we'll talk to him about some of the issues that California faces. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. This is Rob Black and your money on nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. And now Rob Black. Welcome back in to Rob Black and Your Money. I just saw a poll that came out of the L.A. Times not too long ago, end of last month, that basically showed Tom Campbell was running for the Senate seat against Barbara Boxer. Well, first and foremost, yes, get through a primary with Carly Fiorina. But it says that he would be the strongest opponent against Boxer, who's considered vulnerable this year as she's seeking a fourth term. The poll shows Campbell beating Boxer 45% to 38%. But interestingly, Boxer would defeat Fiorina by about six points um, in the same poll. And yet at this point in time, Carly Fiorina leads Tom Campbell in the primary race, 38% to 23%. Tom Campbell, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Now, what do you think that poll just, what do you think it tells us? Most importantly, uh, that Barbara Boxer and everybody who's incumbent now and is associated with the present situation economically in our country is in trouble and ought to be, frankly. Uh, folks are out of work in California. Uh, 12.6% is the unemployment, and that's just the official unemployment. So I think the the identification of Senator Barbara Boxer with all that's gone on in Washington, including a, a dozen things, Rob, like, like health care, like cap and trade, like the bill on finances that's coming through, all of that association is is, um, is 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 really weighing her down. 
and the candidate who's got the best chance of beating her is the candidate who's been emphasizing the economic issues all along, and that's May. Uh, perhaps the clearest contrast is the National Taxpayer Union Foundation rated me number one most fiscally responsible member of Congress. I served in Congress until 2000, so it's been 10 years since I've been there. But I was rated number one, and she, uh, Barbara Boxer, was rated 412 out of 435. And that was a National Taxpayers Union Foundation. So I emphasize the economic issues. I point out how big government and big deficits and borrowing money is uh, killing us, um, causing us to have more unemployment, longer unemployment, and that appears to be resonating when we contrast it with uh, Barbara Boxer. You've served five terms as in the House of Representatives. You've also served as the Director of Finance for California in 2004 and 2005. So you've got a lot of experience. Carly Fiorina's got a lot of business experience where you have a lot of political experience. A lot of people might want some new blood in Washington, to be quite honest with you. How do you combat that? Two ways. First of all, it's been 10 years since I was in elected office. I do think there's a, re- a revulsion against uh, those who are incumbent now and are identified with the terrible growth of the federal government, the deficit, the printing of money, and all of that as Senator Barbara Boxer. Uh, I've been gone since 2000. In the year that I last served in Congress, we actually balanced the federal budget. Um, the second is uh, I, I've been in the private sector. Uh, so since uh, I left uh, elected office, um, and, and one of the things that I've done is to be dean of uh, the uh, Haas School of Business. So I've been identified very strongly with training people to be able to take jobs in a in a new economy. And um, we actually got the Haas School ratings up to number two in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so I've got a balance in my career. I got a Ph.D. in economics, as you know, and 30 years ago, uh, since then, uh, I've divided those years, 15 in uh, government service and 15 as a uh, consulting economist um, or uh, as a professor. Um, I've taught at Stan- I've been a professor at Stanford, at uh, uh, Cal, and now I'm a visiting professor at uh, Chapman University in Orange County. Got an email from Joan, and she says, "Mr. Campbell's been controversial in your policy towards Israel. Can you elucidate a little bit on where foreign policy plays a role in the Senate at this point in time?" And have you been misrepresented? I saw that Carly Fiorina once referred to you as an anti-Semite. Well, it's a very unfortunate statement by her uh, campaign consultant. And when uh, we caught him at it, he did not apologize. He, he, um, the, the person to whom he said it was the sec- former Secretary of State of California, a very honorable man, Bruce McPherson. So uh, she should have apologized. She should have withdrawn the statement, or at least her campaign consultant should have. Uh, but the controversy, uh, probably most importantly right now, is um, is is this the and I've been critical of the Obama administration. Israel's in the news again today, and it's uh, uh, not good uh, for uh, the prospects of getting sanctions out of the UN. Israel faces Iran. Iran is developing a nuclear weapon, and what I've said publicly is, if the Israeli government needs to take the step against Iran that it did with Syria. And um, it did with uh, Iraq, Syria in 2007, Iraq in 1981, and destroy the uh, the uh, nuclear reactor, uh, which they did on those two occasions because Syria and Iraq were both threatening them. Right now, Iran is moving towards a weapon. There's no question about it. Ahmadinejad's not going to 
uh, turn off that course. The U.S. ought to be clear and say, look, we support Israel. If Israel needs to take the step of destroying that nuclear capability, uh, Iran has said, uh, Ahmadinejad has said, I, uh, I should say, that Israel has no right to exist, um, that uh, the Holocaust didn't happen. Uh, I mean, this, this man is a very dangerous person, and he's about to get a nuclear weapon. So what Obama, President Obama's been doing instead is to say, look, we'll rein in Israel. You know, we'll, we won't, let, we won't uh, uh, support them if they use force. And as a result, the uh, Ahmadinejad is full speed ahead to get the weapon. Um, so that's been um, the big issue. And neither of my um, two colleagues in the Republican race have said that, nor has uh, Barbara Boxer. But the U.S. has to be really clear. If Israel needs to take the step to rid the world of uh, Iran's nuclear weapon, then the U.S. will stand with Israel, not against it. We're speaking with Tom Campbell. He's running for the Senate seat currently held by Barbara Boxer, Democrat. He has to go into a primary against Carly Fiorina. Um, when I look up your bio, Tom, it, it says liberal on social issues, supports abortion and gay rights, conservative on fiscal matters. That's kind of a, a, a funny box to put you in definitively. But one issue that America feels we have to address is the federal deficits. And last week, Obama proposed to Congress something kind of like line item veto to be brought back, which was ruled unconstitutional. But to, for him to be able to identify pork, send it back to Congress for them to eliminate it, or at least for them to go on record as voting for pork. Would you support that? Where are you in that, that process? Absolutely. I'd support virtually any step that allows us to curb this huge federal deficit. Uh, and, and I supported the line item veto. I'm sorry that the Supreme Court struck it down. Uh, it doesn't matter to me that the president is not my party. If he uses the line item veto and gets the deficit lower, that's, that, then we should support that effort. Uh, I've, I've also uh, strongly announced uh, I'm not going to do pork. I'm not going to do the, the earmarks. Uh, I think that that's an abuse of our, uh, of our um, congressional system. Um, and, and I'm probably, well, overwhelmingly the strongest candidate about this because of the rating I told you about before. Mm-hmm. Here, here it is. If you, if you are prepared to, to actually vote against spending, then you've got some credibility. So that rating from the National Taxpayers Union Foundation was on the basis of how much dollars, how many dollars the spending that you proposed or co-sponsored uh, totaled. And I was a net negative. I actually saved the federal government money in the uh, score that they came up with, and that's what made me the single most fiscally responsible. I was, I spent less money than any other member of Congress in the 102nd and in the 106th. Uh, so it starts with a willingness to, to uh, curb spending. Secondly, we had a system called Graham-Rudman, and that was allowed to expire, but Graham-Rudman should be brought back. And when I'm a U.S. senator, that's going to be my, my top priority. It was a bipartisan effort. Um, we had a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, and Republican uh, Congress. And the Graham-Rudman system said if Congress doesn't hit pre-established goals for reducing the deficit over a 10-year period, then automatic across-the-board cuts go in. So that's the second thing to do. First, elect people who are willing not to spend money. Second, restore Graham-Rudman-Hollings. Um, and then third and last, take a look at the president's budget. I did. He said uh, he couldn't see his way clear to uh, a budget with less of a deficit than uh, $1.27 trillion. So um, I, I looked at his budget, and I could cut it in half. I did, and I put it up on my website, uh, campbell.org. 
so those are the steps that we need to take, and uh, a line item veto or something close to it would be helpful. So I, I hope we get it. Let me throw out one more question for you. We see a lot of Arizona backlash right now. Their government passed some resolutions that basically uh, are trying to protect their borders, whether you like them or not, whether you like the, the, the tactics they're using to protect their borders. The federal government's not doing a good job of protecting our borders or or stopping or curbing or managing immigration. I don't know what the right answer is, but representing California in the nation, this can be pretty key to us. So if we put you in office, Mr. Campbell, where where do you stand on how do we handle the immigration issue? And, and how do you feel about how Arizona is getting punished right now? I think it's unfair to Arizona. They The law hasn't even gone into effect. The attorney general didn't even read the law. And yet he and many others on the left have jumped to the conclusion uh, that it's unconstitutional. And uh, they've used the R word. They've said that it's racist. And that's that's what you do to try to silence people, to intimidate them from comment. Um, the Arizona law is, is part of the solution that Arizona has followed. And I don't think anybody should criticize it unless they've got a better plan. And, uh, uh, the, uh, and, and the federal government particularly has failed. Uh, so what should we what should we do in California? We used to have a system of, uh, of uh, guest workers, particularly in agriculture. Um, I think you begin with that. You have an expanded guest worker program, uh, and uh, you then have the obligation of employers to check the social security number and the name of the employee. That's called e-verify, but it's voluntary right now. It's not obligatory, so it should be made obligatory. Um, then impose some very serious fines on employers who nevertheless go ahead and hire somebody who's here illegally. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, treating it like the, the violation of law that it is. The, the illegal alien violates the law, so does the employer. But you've got a legal route for the employer to hire the guest worker. The Democrats don't like this because they want the folks who are here illegally uh, to uh, be registered to vote. And that's not going to happen under a guest worker program. They're not in line to be citizens. Um, but uh, that's, that's a political reason, not an economic one. Uh, fourth, uh, we need a border fence. We need it all the way. Uh, Arizona is in a tremendous amount of, under a tremendous amount of pressure now uh, as uh, illegal aliens are choosing that route because the California route has been impeded by uh, the fence across our, our southern border. And... Um, Lastly, uh, we need to have adequate personnel at the border. The president sent 1,200 more uh, uh, National Guard to the, uh, to the border. Uh, I think that's a small number compared with our need. And uh, uh, when I was in Congress before, I strongly advocated increasing the number of federal personnel at the border. But if we, if we can't convince the other members of Congress to do that and the other senators to do that, then we ought to make use of the uh, California National Guard for, for border duty. So that's a rather uh, clear, I hope, uh, statement of the steps that we need to take. Tom, I've got more airtime if you want to use it, but I do have to go to break. Are you available for another 10 minutes? I'm available up till, up till uh, 11. I could do that. We'll do that. Let's, let's take a break. I want to warn you, people are very cynical out there. I just got an email from Steve. He said he did not balance a budget in 2000. 2000 was a year of unrealistic, non-sustainable income in America. People are pretty cynical. I'm going to keep you on, put you on hold, come right sure. back to you. I'm speaking with Tom Campbell. He's running for the Senate seat against Barbara Boxer. First, yes, get through the primary with Carly Fiorina. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back on Rob Black and Your Money. Well, hustles, grab your guns, your shadow is a ton. Driving down the 101. California, here we come. Right back where we started from. 
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. I'm speaking with Tom Campbell, who's running for the Senate seat currently held by Barbara Boxer. I've met Tom before. He's a normal guy. At least he appears normal. I'd like to have a beer with Tom. I'm a little worried about Carly Fiorina because she, like Meg Whitman, to me, feel like there's a little bit of a cult of personality that they just want to be famous, that they're done with Wall Street and now they just want to be famous and maybe set up a business after they, they, they do their Senate time and or uh, time as governor. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, shall we, Tom? Um, you're a career politician, which some of us don't like career politicians, but at the same time, well, and you've also worked in the business. You're right. You've balanced it. But some of these people, um, there's a bit of a, a career, a cult of personality going on. I think you're right, uh, and thanks for uh, making the comment about balance. I got my Ph.D. in economics from the University of Chicago. Uh, Milton Friedman was my faculty advisor, and that was 1980, so that's 30 years ago. And um, I worked in the Reagan administration. Um, I was finance director of California, served in Congress, and served in the state Senate. Adding all those up, uh, that's 15 years. And then I've been in the private sector, uh, out of elected government, out of the uh, appointed um, government for 15 years, um, both as a business professor at Cal, a business professor and law professor at uh, Chapman, a law professor at Stanford, okay. and consulting economist. So I've got a balance, and I've also served on the board of three public companies, so I know a lot, fair amount about business. Perhaps my proudest thing, though, is training people to get jobs. That's what a business school does. Um, and we uh, we did a good job at that. At uh, I think it was it was never about me, uh, and public service has never been about me, uh, and uh, it's being part of, uh, of something bigger than you. Uh, perhaps the biggest um, thing I've ever been part of is the Reagan administration. Uh, I was uh, absolutely honored to be part of that effort. Uh, I remember when he brought Morning to America, the way he expressed it. Uh, the alternative, the cult of personality, I think you're right. And one of the, the things that go along with that is the ability to self-finance. Um, the, the system we have now is, uh, of course, uh, the Supreme Court uh, dictated it. Uh, you can, there's limits as to how much money you can raise, but no limit as to how much you can spend. And so you've got a built-in advantage for those who can fund their own campaigns. And we've seen that throughout this, uh, this campaign. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. And we're running out of time, so be as brief as you can. Sure. If elected state senator, you're going to represent us. Are you going to work with the Democrats and Obama, or are you going to basically say, I'm going to draw on the lines and it's Republicans versus Democrats? No, you've got to be uh, looking for the best interest of the country and the best interest of the state. And uh, when I was a state senator, I was uh, uh, voted by Cal Journal as the best problem solver because I was able to see the opportunities for common ground. You're, you're not going to be effective unless you do. I'm a little bit cynical right now because of the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. On yeah. one hand, Congress invites drillers in and says, go drill, give us money. And then it, when something goes bad, we tend to grandstand our politicians and, and say, you're evil. Same thing with banks. Our congressmen said in the 1990s, um, go lend money to people who don't deserve it. The banks did it. It, it blew up. And then suddenly we're grandstanding against the banks. Please, if you go to Washington again, don't grandstand. Just promise me that. You're so right. Well, I, my best answer is I didn't before, and I don't think that's my nature. So 
Uh, and my worry, of course, is the is, is folks like Barney Frank who said, "Go gamble." Uh, what do you say? Roll the dice uh, with the money. Uh, so they did. That was Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and we got into the mortgage uh, and uh, and uh, housing crisis as a result. Uh, no, it's our money. It's not the government's money. And uh, no no congressperson or senator should ever tell a federal agency, go roll the dice with the money. Uh, that's exactly what he did, and it worries me that he's advising President Obama right now on the financial bill. Now, Barty Frank, on the same hand, recently has talked about nationalizing legal gambling online, something I kind of like because I'm a white male. Um, in your opinion, now that the economy stinks, now that we're massive deficits again, um, does Congress tend to sacrifice their morals, and should we sacrifice our morals at a time like this, and and, and tax cigarettes and tax gambling, and and bring it all back? I'll, I don't think there's any time that you sacrifice your morals, um, but what we need to do now is get the private economy moving again, and that's the big difference. The president thinks that jobs come from the government. And he supports government spending for jobs. No, jobs come from the private sector. And what we need to do is lower the amount of deficit and lower the amount of printed money so that you get a better chance at a permanent job in the private sector. Ronald Reagan said it best. The, the very best social program is a, is a private sector job. A government job comes with pensions. And that, that seems to be the, one of the bigger problems facing us is a liability in the future. People are living longer. They work in government, both California and the federal, and then they, they draw great pension. But during their work years, they're not getting as much as the private sector in theory. But it's a problem that we're facing as a nation. How do you go about correcting that? I think for new employees, you should go to the private sector model, and that's defined contribution or 401k. Uh, and uh, for those who already have pensions, you can't touch that under the Constitution. But uh, uh, going forward, it's 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 too uh, much of a fluctuation in the state budget uh, where we've been locked in, and that's true with uh, cities and counties as well to uh, so-called defined benefit pension plans. It's because of the strong public employee unions, um, and they uh, contribute and make a decision on who they're going to endorse for those races. And in return, uh, it's very difficult for those who were elected with their help to say no. That's the, that's the root of the problem, Rob. Tom, I know we're out of time, and I'm speaking with Tom Campbell. He's going to run for the state Senate against Barbara Boxer. But first, you have a primary coming up against Carly Fiorina. When is that primary against Carly Fiorina? It's one week from today, and uh, it's uh, Campbell.org is my website where folks can go to find out more about me. Thanks very much, Tom. Thank you, Rob. Good luck in the next week. It's Tom Campbell. He's running in a primary against Carly Fiorina. I don't know if I should say good luck because that shows a bias, but hopefully things turn out well for you, Mr. Campbell. Tom Campbell, he's a Republican running uh, for the U.S. Senate. He has to get through the primary first. And so far what we're seeing with primaries in the United States is there's been a lot of backlash against incumbents. And there's been some states that are more willing to support things like the you know, more conservative movement. Um, some just don't like the incumbents. Vote them out. Vote the bums out. That's, that seems to be a little bit of a statement that we keep to be hearing on a regular basis. I like Tom. And again, I, I'm not telling you who I'm voting for in any way, shape, or form. He seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy on a lot of levels. And, you know, the grandstanding statement, will he go to Congress and will he go and, and grandstand? Probably. On some levels, because that's part of the game of getting reelected, of giving yourself uh, sound clips. But he brought up a great statement, too. He's running up against a candidate who can outspend him. So she's made more money in her career than he has. Now, they could both raise money to set maximum levels the state of California is allowed. But after that, depends on how much in their own deep pockets they want to finance. I'm I'm cynical. I'm sarcastic at this point in my life, and I'm 
I don't know. I just want to go always go for the best candidate uh, or the the most normalized candidate or the candidate who might do the most for us fiscally uh, for our future and not so much for the instant gratification. So I think if I were to ever run for Congress, I would say I'm doing one term. I'm in and I'm out. And I promise you that um, my own opinion is I'd rather run for mayor because I think you could actually change people's lives and mayors. I'm, I'm very cynical about Congress. Very cynical about the president of the United States. But anyway, that was Tom Campbell again running next week, one week from today. We've got primaries in the state of California. Go educate yourself, people. It's Rob Black and your money coming up. Headline news. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.